Hello and welcome back to our Sabbath School from Home podcast. Cameron isn't here within our recording this evening because he's out camping with his family and we have a little bit of jealousy about that. But we're looking forward to an interesting conversation and as with last week, we are now realigned to at least some degree with the Seventh-day Adventist study uh, lesson guide. And so we're going to be looking at ways in which we remember Deuteronomy as we examine the New Testament. I'm Lachlan, and I'm looking forward to it very much. Yes, g'day. Ken here. And Luke here. So this idea isn't actually completely new. We've obviously been talking about Deuteronomy for about 11 weeks now. And along the way, we, with our Christian perspective, our New Testament-informed view of the world, we've been unable to shy away from some of the similarities that we've seen so far. One that I'd like to open with just for fun is, is not necessarily direct quotations of the book of Deuteronomy. There are many of those in the New Testament writings. But I'd like to pick up, to connect right back to some of our earlier episodes of this season, where we were trying to get into the mindset of Deuteronomy. And we were looking at the way that um, the book opened, and we were looking at the context, which is very clearly the Exodus. And it struck me that the author of Deuteronomy is having a go at succinctly telling the history of the story so far. So you have the Exodus and the wandering in the wilderness, and it's all compressed down into just just a page or two. And when I think in the New Testament, there are a couple of iconic examples of the same thing happening. And I'm thinking in the book of Acts. I think in my memory, I think of Peter at Pentecost. I think of Stephen before he's stoned, uh, essentially giving an oral defense at his trial. Uh, I think there may even be a few other examples of this where, likewise, people are giving a kind of succinct and focused summary with a point of the story so far and then then going on to emphasize the the new thing the next thing the the upcoming or recently discovered realization so maybe let's turn in acts and see if we can uh, just explore this a little bit i think stephen's stephen's speech in acts chapter 7 is a little bit more directly the sort of thing that i had in mind can we see aspects in Stephen's speech that are reminiscent of, in particular, that opening history, that con- condensation of the Exodus story that we started Deuteronomy with? Well, I think you'd make a good point, Lachlan. Um, and uh, all through Deuteronomy, we see this story uh, told, I brought you out of Egypt, uh, and this is now how I want you to live. Or require you to live, um, so so that's the that's the story, and, it, and there's a constant reference back to the work that God has done. So that, that's a significant um, as well element of the book of Deuteronomy. I didn't look through this before we started recording, and there is something striking me straight away as I look at the pages. This is Acts chapter seven. There is a lot of space allocated to the general narratives of the events more or less around the time of the Deuteronomy, you know, the Exodus story. And, you know, the basic, more or less, the, the events surrounding Moses. It goes pretty much, 
Yeah, from verse 20, Acts 7 verse 20, through to Mount Sinai is still happening at verse 40, uh, golden calf. Um, and Moses is still in verse 44, Joshua. The story switches to Joshua at verse 45. So there's a solid 25 verses of Acts chapter 7 that are, that are recounting the story of Moses and the Exodus. And then all of the history of the Israelites after the time of Joshua is condensed in verses, you know, 47 to 53. <laughs> and it's got my favorite bit in there in verse 51. You stiff-necked people <laughs> with uncircumcised hearts and ears. I've, I've never come across that before. I've never come across a circumcised ear. Um, but... Trying, trying. Apparently, it's something we should aspire to. Well, is that what Peter was trying to do in the Garden of Gethsemane when they came to arrest Jesus? Oh, dear. Uh, look, I think the question that I'm interested by here is how do we place the emphasis when we tell our story, our history, um, and do we do it enough? So, there's two questions here. The book of Deuteronomy takes a very uh, it does a bit of condensing, and in previous episodes we've discussed, there's almost a little bit of revisionism that's taking place as the story is getting retold and recounted. Um, and maybe Moses is trying to um, shine himself in slightly greater, slightly more positive light. Who knows? That's that's speculation we had much earlier in this season. What, when do we tell our stories, and what purpose? When I say our story, I mean our collective history. And here in Acts, although all of the the Old Testament history between crossing the Jordan and entering the Promised Land up until the time of Jesus is is almost just glossed over. So so very clearly in the context of Stephen's defense, he, he sees the Exodus and the events of Moses as being the dominant part of the story he wants to tell. Unless he wanted to say more and he just got interrupted because they started to stone him. I'm, I'm not quite so sure. Um, but we live another 2,000 years further on. There's even more events and history that we can point to in terms of God's interaction with his people. How do we get this balance? Where do we place the emphasis? Can, can I respond to that with two separate and at the moment in my mind unrelated um, thoughts. Uh, the first is this. One of the themes that seems to come out very strongly uh, in the story that's told in Acts uh, is the actual resurrection of Jesus. Uh, mm. And we see that in Acts 2 uh, and verse 24. But God raised him from the dead, free him from the agony of death. Uh, we uh, uh, see that um, um, uh, in, uh, I, I think we see it in Stephen even. Yeah, it's um, almost as if he, he implies it. I'm just looking at it right now. At the, at, at the end of his speech in verse 52, Acts 7 verse 52, which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed yeah. those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You yeah. are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. 
Um, he speaks of them persecuting and killing Jesus and of Jesus being the righteous one, but he doesn't specifically mention the resurrection there. No, but when... Po- he does He does mention it in that chapter. Yeah, in, in verse 56. Speech. Yes. In verse 56, he implies it pretty directly, doesn't he? Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But ah. they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. <laughs> and, and, and interesting that Paul does exactly the same thing. Uh, and uh, where he, uh, where he um, is on trial before Felix in Acts chapter 24 uh, at verse uh, 15, uh, and there's a way in which uh, he does this uh, very strategically, to drive a wedge between two Jewish factions. Um, but he does it specifically and says, I admit that I'm a follower of the way in verse 14 uh, and the, and verse 15. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. Uh, so he, he places a great emphasis on the, uh, on the resurrection. Um, and uh, in the trial uh, uh, before uh, Agrippa, he um, uh, the issue uh, is the same. Uh, let me just see here. Uh, when Festus consult, he goes before Festus, and then when Festus consults Agrippa, he says he tries to paint himself in a good light. Uh, but he says the issue is uh, that that Paul's talking about a dead man, Jesus, who Paul claimed was alive. So again, it's clear that in front of Festus, he's talked about the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, and again, um, uh, in Agrippa, um, he talks about the hope um, uh, that he has. Um, and why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead uh, in verse 8 of uh, chapter 26? Uh, so that uh, it's, it's very clear uh, that, that Paul places a really significant emphasis on the centrality of the resurrection. Now, I have to say that's not something that came clear to me through the messages that we got in Deuteronomy. Hmm. Um, but it is now the current, um, uh, it, it's the update, if you like. Um, there's the, we've, we've done a, an update and we've rebooted, uh, and now we've got this additional functionality. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and it's really central. And I've gone on just perhaps a bit too long about it, but of recent times, I've been reflecting and thinking that if we are to see God as good in a world in which there is so much pain for so many people, then the hope of something beyond this life hmm. uh, is really, in one sense, perhaps in a, the biggest sense, the only way in which we can still maintain that God is a good God. So I can see even philosophically that the resurrection needs to be central. So that was my first point. Um, and, and I'll come back to the second one once there's been an opportunity for others to, <laughs> to respond to that. <laughs> I think that's a really, really good point, Ken, because this is something which, for example, you, you might hear... Stephen Fry um, talked very eloquently about 
you know, why he's mm. an atheist. Mm. And I have a lot of respect for Stephen Thray. I think he's he, he's a very um, genuine person with um, a a very a very good character as as mm. humans go. Um, and of course, an incredible intellect and a, a deep understanding and a very gifted communicator. <laughs> and and a, yes, a very gifted communicator and very funny Indeed. comedian. So many. I'm going many to interrupt things, you. I'm going to interrupt you, Luke, things. just to do a little plug, uh, <laughs> because you all know that I love poetry, and one of the best books on poetry appreciation, in fact, from my money, uh, and in my knowledge, the best book that I've read on appreciating poetry, uh, and having a crack at doing it yourself, is Stephen Fry's book called The Ode Less Travelled. Um, so there you are. That's that. That's just a little plug. Um, <laughs> carry on, Luke. <laughs> yes. Um, so he he, but he is an atheist, and his big contention is that the world is simply too cruel for the existence of a loving God. You know, and it's it's not just human cruelty. There there, this is one of his examples. There exist insects whose entire whose entire uh, mode of existence is is to is to burrow into eyeballs and 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 blind people and feed off feed off their eyes it's that sort of thing you know cancer cancer is not man-made um and it's it's a horrible uh it's a horrible disease um in every way parkinson's um alzheimer's these are these are just terrible realities of human existence that seem needlessly cruel and it's a very good point if there is not some purpose to this outside of it which we cannot see clearly then it is very hard to see a loving creator, right? Because because a lot of what makes up this existence could be described as, mm-hmm. as torture. So I think that's essential, and I think that's essential to faith, is the belief that there is more to this story than what we see and understand. Um, and that is there throughout the Bible, but I think it is clearer for the first time in in from Acts on, essentially, um, in in the things that you know Paul and Stephen and and, and so on were, were doing and saying, and the understanding that was sort of starting to get. But I was thinking you you focused very much on sort of what what might have been added to what was in Deuteronomy in this sort of new understanding in the New Testament. I think there's a lot of value in looking at what hasn't changed. Okay. Um, and I was I was looking at Stephen's speech to the patri- uh, well to the to the uh, the high priest and and the Sanhedrin, and I was thinking it's it's really easy to read that as a modern Christian and to judge the Sanhedrin, and I don't think that's the purpose of this passage. Anti-Semitism hmm. is a real uh, temptation for people. Who well, read not the even not even from a from a religious, not even from that sort of Christian versus Jew, the type of thing. Just from the, just from the, the, the perspective, because it's very clear theology in the Bible. It's incontrovertible. Judge, do not judge others, lest you hmm. be judged. Before you take the speck out of your brother's eye, take the massive piece of wood out of your <laughs> own. It's that, that message. I think as Christians, you can only read. If, if we're going to be really studious, really um, conscientious 
in our attempts not to judge others, right, because it has to be a conscious attempt because we do it naturally, then we can't judge the Sanhedrin here. We have to look at this speech as though Stephen was speaking to us. Hmm. Mm. Because, and, and for that matter, the entire story of the Israelites. Because what it is saying, I know it's true in my own life. I don't know about other people's. I'm trying to apply this principle I've just uh, enunciated. I am like the Israelites. I backslide and I fail and I don't heed the lesson and I don't learn constantly. Mm. I make the same mistakes they did. I make the same mistakes the Sanhedrin is making in this story. And it's not my place to judge them or the Israelites or anybody mm. else. Um, mm. And I think that's something which is true in the New Testament and the Old Testament. That that doesn't mm. change. Hum, human nature is, yeah. is constant. It, it, and the question for me then is not what what did the Sanhedrin get wrong? The question for me is in what way am I stiff-necked? Yeah. In, in what may, <laughs> what, what may am I, am I is my heart and my ears uncircumcised? Mm. Um, and and, and yeah. I really I really like that Luke because the other the, the second thing that uh, I was going to respond to and that provides a lovely segue into it is in, in essence if you like the reverse of that to say where is it that I have encountered God in my life uh, and uh, perhaps this comes into what we sometimes just call a testimony you know um, uh, uh, but uh, it's it's an interesting thing to reflect on. Uh, where has God interacted with me? Where where have I seen that? Um, and I'd be interested to hear your reflections on that. Um, uh, to, for me, uh, I remember as a thirteen year old boy going to Pacific Union College and hearing a theology lecturer there with. A, a wonderful facility with the language, just speaking, taking the Sabbath school lesson and and just opening up new thought after new thought after new thought after new thought and just expanding my little mind uh, and and then walking with him after lunch with some pastors and, and hearing them talk about God things that I can't even recall now except to say that they're... I, it came to me that, oh, what they're talking about is real. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and that was one of those little, little pieces in life where God came and, and well, circumcised my heart. Um, and and, and, and I, I remember doing a marriage course um, with some wonderful Pentecostal people uh, that, that was just so important and another one was a parenting course that we did that was um just so confirming of, of faith others have been uh about things that just don't matter i mean they uh, i don't have time to tell the story but uh, uh that god has clearly been gracious and allowed me to and prompted me and motivated me and whipped me into action at times uh, and confirmed uh, in my life in a way that I can't understand why he would bother um, uh, to uh, to build an aeroplane, uh, including, including, I might say, sending messages 
from the scripture uh, through people who did not know that that is what they were doing. Mm. Um, uh, and, 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 and I can also remember ways in which uh, around the time that I was appointed as a magistrate, um, there were ways in which God interacted that, for me, uh, indicated his presence and goodness in my life. So uh, there are some examples without detail, because there's no time for it, but of times where I can look and I can say, well, this is where God brought me out of Egypt. This is where God made that promise. Uh, and I look in hope to his faithfulness to fulfill the promises after I'm dead. Um, mm. So mm. reflections. Yeah, well, I, I like this idea of, of take, picking up this same attitude of recounting the history, but, but doing it on a more personal scale. I think this is, this is something valuable. I, I personally um, probably, I, I think, and I think this is not too uncommon, I think that's, there's something about the, the brain development process, the discovering of yourself process. There is something about the, the teenage years that are fairly um, formative and dramatic. I, I think that my most tangible, sort of vivid sense of God's presence um, was was actually on the track between the Yarrahapne, the, the Adventist campground at Yarrahapne, walking through to the beach. Um, uh, there's just a particular part. I can't quite remember exactly what my frame of mind was, but it was I was just overwhelmed by a really tangible feeling um, of God's presence. And of course, um, being a teenager at big camp, that that is very much the sort of atmosphere that the people organizing the event are hoping to achieve and, and to facilitate. So, so I'm open to some criticism that it was, that it was all a manipulation, uh, potentially, but I really, I really did feel a, um, you know, a, a specific and really tangible feeling. Um, I think since then I, it has, it hasn't felt as, as tangible most of the time. I remember once, um, when I was living in Germany, I really felt the opposite. I felt a really tangible sense of the absurdity of things and the absence of God. And I was really sort of bothered, uh, you know, a bit bit in turmoil. And I was sitting on a bus commuting to work. And I sort of, I remember describing it to Clancy when I got home as sort of saying, look, there's right at the moment, there's lots of things that I'm really feeling very unsure about. But I was sitting on the bus and I felt really overcome, overwhelmed by this sense of, there are people here on this bus. They represent people in the world. And despite all of the other things that I'm pondering in my mind, I really have this overwhelming feeling that I want to be on God's side. I want to be part of God's mission to the people in mm. the world. Mm. And and it was almost like that paddle glum in, in Narnia, in the silver chair. It was almost like this this sense of even if God isn't real, I want to be part of God's mission in the world because I think that I can see I can see it being the best way to to interact with the world. It was a it was an interesting kind of yeah. kind of sense, but it was a strong yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um and yeah, the, I guess it's it's interesting how specific some of these events are. You know, I, not only was I on the bus, I can tell you exactly between which two bus stops. Wow. On the on the on the street in Ulm, I was travelling uh, when I sort of really had this 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 idea strong in my mind. So yeah, it's quite remarkable in that sense. Mm, mm, 
I'm not sure I have anything to to match either of those. <laughs> I was reading the the last part of Stephen's speech where he, you know, just after the stiff neckedness and the uncircumcision, and says, "You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit." I I wonder if I even realize when I'm resisting the mm. Holy Spirit. I suspect that I don't fully understand it or perceive it, but that it does, it does, it is something that that has as its consequence an increased level of of inner turmoil. Yeah, that's a really interesting um, and challenging thought. A kind of an, an inability for self awareness in that in that particular sense. Um, because I, I know that on some occasions, and it's 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 never been occasions where I've I've done anything particularly right. It's more been occasions where I have prayed while under under significant stress, and I've been granted a sort of peace. Mm. Um, I think that's the, that's the best or closest that I've come to experiencing you know, the Holy Spirit is just the sense of peace and the, the, the burden being lifted for a bit. Um, it'd be nice if that's how it was all the time, uh, but it, it does not seem to work that way, at least not, not for me. Um, and I'm, I'm quite certain that if it's anyone's fault, it's mine as far as that goes. But, but I, I, th I think it makes sense because the members of the Sanhedrin were obviously experiencing a great amount of inner turmoil. They were not happy people in the No, they were not <laughs> furious and gnashing their teeth. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, they did not have uh, the calm comfort of the Holy yeah. Spirit with them. So that, that tracks. <laughs> My understanding is, is theologically sound. Yeah, indeed. According to Acts. I, I love the, the, it describes them covering their ears, doesn't it? <laughs> I just think of my 10-year-old who sometimes literally puts his fingers in his ears to symbolically indicate I don't want to listen to what you're saying anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, Ken, I want to come back to something that you were saying, the focus on the resurrection, which you're exactly right. It's really prominent, not in only in Acts, of course, but all through the New Testament. How prominent is that focus on the resurrection in our own Adventist Christian tradition. You know, I'm thinking when we do, um, you know, the sort of the Lord's Supper, our bread and wine in remembrance of Jesus, remembering the Last Supper, are we more remembering his death and sacrifice or are we celebrating his resurrection? I, I tend to think the way we do it is more the first. We're, mm. we're remembering somberly his sacrifice absolutely has its place i'm not diminishing it but if that's not a celebration of the resurrection easter probably would be except of course we're seventh day adventists so we do our easter stuff on sabbath not on sunday so mm. we don't mm. we don't experience that full force of the christian conviction of the power of resurrection sunday because we're a bit afraid of going to church on sunday unless mm. it's a working bee um <laughs> so so what's left what's left in our adventist worship tradition i'm not using the word liturgy but perhaps i could that's our that's our regular celebration of the resurrection I, i'm struggling to think of it because we almost skip it 
uh, and go straight to the second coming. Um, uh, you know, I mean, the, 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 the resurrection's implicit in the second coming, of course. Yeah. Uh, uh, but we almost go straight there. And, and this is just a question, and it's, it, it's a bit of a thought bubble, really, uh, responding to your thought. Are we, when we look at the story that is told um, by Peter and Stephen and Paul, and I wonder whether if we tracked it through the New Testament, we would see a similar theme. The story that's told is, here is where things are to now. Hmm. Um, uh, how then should we live? Yeah. Um, and the celebration is of the things that God has done and how that means we should live. Of course, there is story of hope and there is story of the second coming and there is there are those stories, but yeah, I don't know. How then should we live seems to be very important. And that seems to be sometimes, I wonder, a little bit overlooked in our enthusiasm to get to heaven. Yep. Yep. I would probably share that comment. to one With one exception, Ken, a very vivid mm. exception in my mind, and I don't know whether it was one of the orchestra experiences that you were also part of um but we were playing the song in christ alone uh feels like a hymn but it's a contemporary hymn it's yeah. stylistically a hymn but it's a contemporary song and one of the verses that may be the third verse um then bursting forth in glorious light or, or something it's about the resurrection and the drummer in the ensemble um said some some feedback came down from the conductor you know hold it back hold it back a little bit and he said i can't hold it back this is the resurrection verse yeah <laughs> <And> he, was, <laughs> he was saying we've got to burst this forth i'm going to be hitting this drum kit as hard as i jolly well can and i it, it is really striking in my mind there was nothing wrong with what the conductor had said necessarily yeah. but it, it it sort of really brought home to me yeah this is kind of the, <laughs> this is a big a big deal, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll reflect the significance of this part of the story in in the way we musically represent it. And I thought, yeah. what a great idea that was. <laughs> it's 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 interesting. I'm just think you've just got me thinking about our theology on this. So how we we don't emphasize the resurrection. Most other Christian traditions, let's say, do. Uh, you know, uh, in including ones that we've all been very influenced by. I'm thinking of, of course, the line, the witch in the wardrobe is, you know, it's it's very obvious what, what's going on yeah. there. And it it's in, in that telling of that version of these events, it's entirely about the mm. resurrection. It's not about a second coming. Mm. And it's not really about a heaven either. It's all about the resurrection and specifically what the resurrection means for every... Yeah, body. the way that the resurrection resets reality. The, the way it changes the entire story and opens mm. up a new, a new possible yeah. ending that wasn't there before. You know, before the resurrection, there was only one way that things were going to end and it was going to be bad. For, and for and everybody. that's the message of Ecclesiastes in one sense. That's part <laughs> of the message of Ecclesiastes. This is life, and then it ends. Yep. Mm. And after after the resurrection, everything changes. Mm. 
Um, and C.S. Lewis does write it brilliantly. The whole tone of the story changes. Mm. You are, you feel the sudden hope where there was no hope before when you read it. Um, it's a bit weird that we don't that we don't talk about it and think about it more because we don't we don't have any we don't hold any particular theological point that says the resurrection isn't important. It's true. Well, no, you're right. Uh, but here's a hypothesis that is occurring to me. I'd love to say that this is why I steered our conversation initially in this direction, but it's not. It's just a fresh idea, and it may not have much value. But it occurs to me, as we're contrasting the history, the, the succinct summary of history, the, the narrative placement that we that we started Deuteronomy with, and the ones that we're finding here in Acts that kind of start the Christian era, the New Testament era, it occurs to me that as Adventists, we sometimes identify a little too strongly with the Deuteronomy story, um, you know, in various ways, by, by drawing considerable emphasis to the importance of sanctuary. Um, we inadvertently find ourselves identifying very closely with the, with the Israelites in the wilderness, and we sometimes forget the point of, of books like Hebrews and Revelation that speak of, of developments of that kind of access to God. So I don't think that emphasis on the sanctuary is in, and itself, in itself a, a bad thing. But it, it can mean that we stick back to the, the Deuteronomy story. We assume that it hasn't gone any further. Our addiction to defending the Old Testament law... And, and we're running out of time tonight, but one of the other ways that the New Testament refers to Deuteronomy, because we've read through Deuteronomy now, there's lots of laws. And the New Testament era finds itself grappling with some of these issues. What, what does law mean in the context of Jesus's salvation activities? Um, but we, especially with the Sabbath, we need to defend the commandments, so we defend the law, so we end up identifying and emphasizing that Old Testament part of the story. I'm just wondering whether we may sometimes get drawn into a bit of a trap of minimizing the events in the story that have happened subsequent to Deuteronomy. Um, Stephen, we're in good company to put our emphasis there, because Stephen, as I pointed out, spends a lot of his time telling that Exodus story. It's a formative and important story, telling of them in the wilderness. But but Stephen does bring it through to the punchline of the, the um, death and resurrection of Jesus. And we have more yet that we could tell. Um, there is, there are inter- and we do, I think, in our best moments, I think we definitely do this well. I personally really like the thinking of some ideas through the story, through the context of the historical story. You know, it's e- sometimes it's easier to understand why we sometimes have certain hang-ups um, and why you know groups just like people have weird idiosyncrasies, and they're often explained, uh, even if they're not excused, sometimes by the the histories that have led up to that point. Um, the Reformation, Protestantism. The, the the advent movement um, the there are there are parts of the story that I think we do tell well um, but we need to make sure that we're we're framing them in the New Testament era and not falling into the trap this is my hypothesis and not falling into the trap of of sticking back with the earlier 
parts of the story exclusively. Well, I, I like that. Uh, look, I, I think in closing, I'd like to just pick up on a wonderful piece of alliteration that came from your words, Lachlan. Resurrection resets reality. Ah. <laughs> I, I think that is a wonderful thought. Mm. And if one looks at resurrection and says, resurrection is an act of the power of God. Uh, and I would love if our readers would share with us, and if not share with us, at least reflect in their own lives where there has been resurrection, where the power of God has been exhibited to them or in them, and how has that changed things? How has that reset reality? So where has been the reset of reality from resurrection in your life? Yeah, that's an excellent thought. If you've got um, an answer and you want to share it with us, you can email us at sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to you joining us again for next week's discussion.